near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. I want to start out today by saying thank you so much, you guys, for the response. I, uh, you know, we we release these, um, or, or I record these several weeks in advance, and so um, they're usually released a little bit later, and so if you don't hear a response from me from something that was recently posted, it's because they're posted out uh, several weeks in advance. But uh, today I got to read the responses from people where I read the uh, listener comment about me saying I don't know a lot and and the uh, the responses that I got and and they came flooding in ha- have been so kind and so generous I just wanted to thank all of you who responded to that and if you have other ideas thoughts feelings uh, about the show about things that I'm saying or you know ideas please contact me uh, Chaz at ndepodcast.org I will read all of your comments and I genuinely consider each of the things that are suggested. Of course, I will make the choices that uh, feel right for the show, but I want you to know that I genuinely appreciate every kind of feedback, as well as any comments or questions that come up. Okay, um, today we're going to share the experience of Sharon from the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, enderf.org. And I'm not going to read her whole account. If you want to read the full thing, um, you can find it there on the website um, because there's a lot of build-up to the situation. Um, suffice it to say, for this reading, um, she, this girl is in a uh, bad motorcycle accident. Okay, and we're going to pick up from the moment of this accident. Okay, she says... The impact sent me over 60 feet tumbling down the highway. The people who witnessed the accident and phoned it in reported me dead. I hit so hard on my head that it cracked the motorcycle helmet. I lay in a pool of blood, screaming, though I have no conscious memory of this part. The timing was impeccable. A car sitting at the intersection coming from Tahoe with a red flashing light immediately drove to me. And the young man who got to me was a medical student. 
He put a tourniquet on my leg and stayed with me the 20 minutes it took the ambulance to get to me and rode to the hospital with me, relieving the pressure so the limb wouldn't die. It was very badly broken. Five breaks. They thought I had broken both arms, both legs and my neck. I lost four and a half pints of blood. It was three days later that I came to. The breaks were all in my left leg, the same leg I had repeatedly injured all of my childhood. All of the broken bones in the top of my foot from a horse that bucked me off and stomped on it, falling so badly skiing that I landed face down in the snow with my boot and ski tip pointed straight up, twists, torn ligaments. I've spent over three and a half years of my life on crutches. I wonder what it's all about. I digress. I've often wondered if what happened next would have happened if I'd been in a different place emotionally and mentally, if I hadn't asked to experience God's love and all of it. I remember a comforting presence. I wasn't in my body. My life was reviewed, and in the same measure as I'd judged others, I was judged. But I felt no condemnation outside of my own thoughts. It was like truth was shown in each event after it was reviewed. Those events and things that made a positive difference would ripple into more enlightenment and love, were somehow captured and were mine to have for eternity. Those deeds, actions, and thoughts that didn't make a positive difference were just burned away like the separation of the wheat from the chaff. It took me several years to go back to people I had hurt and say I was sorry. In some cases, it was not possible. There was no shame. There was no condemnation. There was remorse, however. Only later in the experience did I feel a sadness, not for what I did that I thought was wrong, but that I hadn't done more good. I passed through into the light. I did not see anything or anyone except my own life review. I did, though, feel what I think is called the comforter, or just this profound sense of understanding and compassion, gently holding me as my life was reviewed. I did not see a tunnel other than my life review, which was movement through time and the tunnels of my memory. When the review was over, I know something else happened, and I've read it from someone else's near-death experience, but right now it escapes me. The light was not like the light we see with our eyes. It is like the light you experience when you have an idea that is right on, and you know you've hit on something that needs to be, or the breakthrough that leads you in the right direction, a light bulb to the head. But magnify it to an infinite measure, for there is no measure of truth's brilliance. There is nothing but illumination, knowledge of the age's future, past, and all that will be and has been. Altogether, all peace, all magnificently whole. It reminds me of the aha I had as a little girl, when in the third or fourth grade we were presented with the idea of null, the teacher had drawn a number line with a zero in the middle. All of the positive numbers were on the right side, 
of course, what we call the good side, and the negative numbers were on the left side. She asked the class what we thought zero was, and I raised my hand and said, amazing the memory I have been given, maybe just so I could relate this, who knows. I said, null or zero is all the positive numbers and all the negative numbers put together in the perfect nothingness. How did I know that at such a young age? How did I perceive that? Did I already bring something here that was touching this idea? The perfect nothingness. No matter, no problem, no thing, just perfection. Unity so whole that nothing existed but truth. This is what it was like. There is no good or bad. There just is. I felt so loved, so comfortable. There was no emotional pain, no rejection, no separation, not even a drop in the ocean, but the ocean. Yet I was aware of some kind of identity, yet no body, nothing that kept any thought I had as separate or isolated. I guess what you would call being aware of the Akashic record of your life's thoughts within it and everyone else's that ever was, but I was still holding on to something separate. I must have been. Bathed in wonder, awe, and bliss. Supremely loved and gently kissed. Known for all I had done and would do. Yet loved completely. Yet what had I missed? Enveloped, caressed, warm and cool. Just right, just perfect. It would make you drool. No color, just brilliance. No doubt, no shame. I didn't want to come back. Who could blame? The time sped past, yet never moved. It couldn't, it wouldn't, didn't have to, it proved. For I was the one who moved. But the truth was it still, common awesome, truly fulfilled. Peace and no sound, yet I could hear. All around me there was a presence, but no fear. In my emotions I had come home. I was whole and healed. I would not roam. Yet something called me, asked me time and again. Do you want to come back? Go back. Be back in your body. Be what we call alive. I didn't want to come back. It was so safe and peaceful, there was no pain. Yet it was emotional pain I thought of, not physical pain. It was the peace of the spirit, not the flesh, that enticed me to stay. But the question persisted like something swinging sweetly. Do you want to be back? Come back. Strange we call it coming back, like it's a backward step. I had a choice, a clear choice, and I knew I had had a choice before I was born as Sharon, and I would continue to have choices through eternity. That had always been my choice. Was I willing? Would I go? Would I stay? Would I choose the experience of going to the playground and the consequences? I remember that morning the strange feeling I had that it wasn't quite right, but the enticement to play with the big kids was overwhelming, and I was jealous of the attention my mom gave the baby. The baby didn't have the chicken pox. I did. It clung to me when I saw it. How little I had helped this magnificent, beautiful truth to shine and be known. It was there constantly, then quietly, 
but not maliciously, just this still voice that kept questioning or offering me a choice. Then I wanted to be more, to bring more to the light, to have the positives outweigh the negatives, to tip the scale, if it could be tipped, to help others. I knew that we would not, any of us, be at peace until we all would be. I could be part of making that happen. I wanted to be of help. If you are astrologically knowledgeable, I have Pisces in my midheaven, perfectly fit. I questioned, could I be more valuable in a body than the state I was in? I knew somehow deep in me that I wanted to make a positive difference and I wanted to help others. I wanted to share with them, and I wanted to let them know that they are loved beyond measure, that they're not right and wrong, that it all works together perfectly. The process is perfect. I didn't want to leave. It felt safe and nurturing, loving, cradled, yet not so much as the slightest pressure. Soft, warm, luscious. I was still struck by the lack of color, Color comes from separation, and there was none. I also kept thinking since then that it is the desire to be unique that brings this experience. At the time this was happening, my sisters were together a thousand miles away in Parker, Colorado. They both felt it very strong and knew something was wrong. They went to our dad's home, and within hours they heard from my mother that I had been in an accident. When I could see, I looked down, and I was very high up in the atmosphere, looking down over the top of a range of high-peaked mountains. Was this the Rockies, where my sisters were, or the Sierras, which is where my body was? I don't know, but it was like those ranges. The colors were magnificent. So much intensity, nothing I've ever seen with my human eyes, it didn't last long, the vision of the mountains, and I felt this rush of energy and this grounding back to my body like a huge vacuum cleaner that had sucked me in. Then the heavy weight and a voice saying, wiggle her toes. At that moment, I thought I was unconscious and would be for a couple more days. The doctor was standing at the foot of my bed in my intensive care unit room saying we won't know how bad the nerve damage is until we can see if she can wiggle her toes. My toes wiggled and both of them saw it. When I did regain consciousness, I couldn't see anything but this brilliant light. It took three days to get the ophthalmologist to come in to examine me. And by then, my eyesight was back to 2010, even though my left eye had been badly damaged and the lid's bottom and top had to be repaired to hold the eye in place. It wasn't right at first. I remembered it was several days later that the experience was percolating up. I was on narcotics for the pain. I had a huge gaping hole in my leg and two compound fractures where the bone had come out of the tissue broken knee, broken kneecap, severed artery, shattered ankle. I never once got an infection, though. It took them four or five hours to pull glass, dirt, lead paint, and gravel out of my leg. Not even a fever. I was in the hospital for seven weeks, 
and in a cast for 18 months. It was 24 years later that I said the prayer that gave me the gift of Psalms. I had asked for the words and the way to tell my children of my near-death experience. I would love to tell you more, but it is late, and I have a date with my daughter tomorrow to celebrate her 32nd birthday. I do believe in miracles, and we are them. That is the end of Sharon's experience. Wow, she really does have the gift of Psalms, the, the beautiful poetry, and not just in the poem that she kind of gives in the middle of it, but but just her words in general are just beautiful. I I think she explained things well enough and, and was detailed enough that I'm not going to touch on a lot here, but I did want to go back and revisit a little bit what she said about life, her life review. She doesn't give any of the details. She doesn't tell what she saw in her life review, but she does talk about what she was learning from her life review or the feelings that she had from her life review. She talks about how the same level of judgment that she had against others was the level of judgment that she had against herself, or at least in her wording, my life was reviewed, and in the same measure as I judged uh, others, I was judged. Which is probably um, the wording she's probably taking from the biblical reference. Um, but she sensed that there. She experienced that. She said, but I felt no condemnation outside of my own thoughts. It was like truth was shown in each event after it was reviewed. Reviewed. She says, those events and things that made a positive difference would ripple into more enlightenment and love were somehow captured and were mine to have for eternity. Maybe you've heard the, uh, that's the end of her quote there, uh, uh, maybe you've heard the, the saying that we have, you know, 80 or whatever years to live this life and then eternity to think about it. That almost sounds like what she's saying. But it's more than that. Not only does she have eternity to think about it, but that the, the ripple effect of the positive things that she did in her life would ripple and enlighten in love for eternity. That, those, that the, the positive effects would be captured and would be hers for eternity. That is a beautiful thought. And then she goes on to say, those deeds, actions, and thoughts that didn't make a positive difference were just burned away, like the separation of the wheat from the chaff. She even goes on to say later that, that it, uh, it wasn't so much the things she did wrong that she regretted. Perhaps the things she'd done wrong, she learned the lesson in life, and, and therefore, you know, it turned out to be a life lesson and was therefore generally a positive in it. But the thing that really hit her later on was the things that she could have done and didn't do. The good that she should have done, that she wished she had done, but didn't do. That's a sentiment that you'll sometimes hear from those who are either on their deathbed or, you know, aging, and they're asked, do you have any regrets? Not very often do they regret the so-called bad things that they did, mostly because they learned from those things, but they do talk about 
regrets that they have for things that they didn't do that they wish they had. Some of that revolves around things like things they wanted to accomplish or things that they had hoped to do, allowing themselves to be more happy or joyful. Those are common kinds of regrets. But also, there is the regrets of not doing more good. And you know, we all have the same excuse, and we all share it, that there's just not enough time. There's not enough, you know, hours in a day, or there's you know, we've got so much going on. We all have that excuse. But yet you look at the lives of those who have really accomplished great things. They had that same excuse and they didn't let them let it stop them. And I think that's kind of the message that I'm getting from a lot of these life reviews is that, is that it's not about the excuses that we have or the the reasons that we have that we can give to say, oh, well, I couldn't do it because of this. It's not about that at all. It's what we do anyway, despite the fact that we don't have time, that we don't have the ideal circumstances for it. The good that we can do now, both for others and to to grow and progress ourselves, there's there's no excuse that's going to do much us much good when we're reviewing our life and seeing what we could have done. Because when it comes down to it, our life really is up to us. That's a hard pill to swallow when you've lived out your life in difficult circumstances and with a lot of excuses. And I hate to call them excuses because many of them are real reasons for um, being held back from the things that we'd really like to do. I mean, health problems are not always in our control. You know, physical uh, disabilities or, you know, whatever it is, there's things that we genuinely cannot control. But there are things that we can control. You know, I, uh, I read uh, uh, a couple of Christopher Reeve's autobiography books um, that he wrote after his accident while he was quadriplegic. Now, I had, I, I loved the Superman movies. I mean, Superman was my hero. Um, as far as superheroes are concerned, you know, as a kid and so forth. And he, you know, Christopher Reeve was, was Superman to me. But when I listened to his books that he, because I listened to the audiobooks, when I listened to his books about the things that he learned and accomplished and the, the good that he was able to do after his accident, it blew me away. It made Superman sound, look like a wimp in a lot of ways. And it wasn't like he was this, you know, gung-ho, chipper character. I mean, you, you listen to him, you know, you, it's hard to imagine, you know, the guy who plays Superman, you know, with all the language flying out of his mouth, <laughs> being the same guy, you know. Cause it was hard. He's swearing at nurses and things because he was just, he had serious, serious depression. But the kinds of things that he did to, with the good, the good things that he did with the time that he had left probably outweighed the good that he did before his accident. And if anybody is going to claim that they have a harder time than a quadriplegic, you know, then they're just, they're just lying to themselves. And anyway, the point in all that is one of the lessons I get from this experience as well as many others is that, 
Use the time that you have to do good, to accomplish the things that really, really do matter to you. Because that time's not going to come again, and that the choice really is up to you. So, if you would like to contact me, you can email me at chaz at ndepodcast.org. You can email John by emailing john at ndepodcast.org. You can contribute to the podcast by becoming an ongoing monthly contributor at uh, patreon.com slash ndepodcast. And if you would like to share your own experience, um, you can do so by either um, either emailing me or John. Um, John does interviews. If you've had your own experience, it would be great to get you on and be able to tell it on the show. Or you can record it, like on your phone or something, and email it to me. And I would be glad to put that on the show. And with that, thank you again, all of you, so much for listening. <laughs>